So I'm going to commit a major preaching faux pas today. Okay? I got done putting together the PowerPoint for this, and I looked over at my wife and I said, I just put together a whole sermon about things that nobody cares about. Um, So you're in for a treat today. I'm excited about that. We're in Ephesians. And uh, I'm really excited about what we're looking at. Some people could take this the wrong direction, and I don't want you to do that. So we're going to talk through this. Because of communion, I have a condensed amount of time, which you're all really excited about, and that's fine. Um, But I do want you to track with me and follow the argument. And here's the reason why, is because I want you to see the importance of Bible study. There's not one person in here who is a believer in Jesus who is not able to study the Bible. We live in a day and age where studying the Bible is considered wrong or it's considered a waste of time. Uh, That is not the conviction of this church. Our conviction is that the Word of God is the Word of God, that He has breathed it all and that it is without error and that it is without falsehood in every single way. It's worthy to be studied because it's the truth. And so if that's the case, it's just simply a process of learning how to study the Bible. And that's why my email is on the back of every one of the bulletins that we give out. Let me know if you need help. Let's find a time to meet together. Maybe we need to start up our hermeneutics group again, which is the art and science of Bible interpretation. That's fine. Whatever needs to happen so that we're Bible students, that's important. So how many of you, when you grew up in school, When you got your math textbook, you were really excited about the back of the book. Raise your hand, seriously. Why? Tell me why. The odd answers were always in the back of the book. And you thought, I'm at least getting a 50% this year, right? Because I'll at least get the odd answers of everything they give me. And then... Your math teacher pulled out the secret dagger and poked you with it. And what was it? Only the even questions was some of it. Show your work. It's really easy to write down four. It's really difficult to tell you how I got there. Right? Especially if you use the educated guess method. I graduated high school with a 1.7 GPA. Okay, you're dealing with a smart one up here, which in Kentucky is an A, so whatever, (laughs) you know, let's be honest. But here's what I want to do. I want to read through the entire expanse of what we're dealing with. Somebody brought out to me that I was missing verse 12. I didn't know it. How come y'all didn't say anything? Some, okay. No, that's impossible. (laughs) No, (laughs) mistake number one. Um. But I've added that in now, so we've got that. And then I want to get into it, and I want to show you the work. I want to show you how we get to a certain place that we need to be of understanding because there's something incredibly odd about what we're looking at today in verse 11. So here we go. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him in love. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself according to the kind intention of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. 
In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches, excuse me, <coughs> of his grace which he lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of His glory. So I have a question for you. How rich are you? Wow, that's great. And where are your riches? Praise the Lord. You have every spiritual blessing in Christ. Now, our particular focus is going to be this in him also we have obtained an inheritance notice that this picks up at the end of verse 10 okay remember verses 3 through 14 one long sentence no punctuation and that creates a problem for us so in him oh good grief it's going to do this to me and now i can't even erase it's our location it just disappears on its own that's great in Him, so another spiritual blessing that we have by being in Christ. How do you get in Christ? You hear the gospel, recognizing that you're a sinner and Christ has died in your place. You believe, and you are then given a myriad of blessings, which include forgiveness of sins, the indwelling Holy Spirit, and eternal life, all at one time, plus many more that we can't put a number on right now. But in doing so, you now have every spiritual blessing. You're not lacking in anything. Because you are in Christ. It's all His doing towards you. It's not anything that we deserve. We've covered that a lot, but just for any newbies that are in here, we want to make sure that we get that down. So when you read through this, you see, oh, it's grace, it's grace, it's grace. Yeah, it's grace. It's all it is. Every blessing, fully yours, not lacking in anything. But notice, also, we have obtained an inheritance. Now, we are big fans of silencing our phones, okay? And I'll go ahead and tell you that my phone is not in here for that purpose. But I'm also a big fan of literal word. And so if you're somebody who has your phone and you have the literal word app on your phone, I'm going to encourage you to bring it up and to go to Ephesians 1.11 and to place your finger upon the word obtain or inheritance because they're all the same word. We have obtained an inheritance. So I'm going to ask you to take a moment and do that if you like. Because we need to start with a word study. Surface level, this is not what it seems. Have we obtained an inheritance in Christ? Yes, but what's difficult about this is we'll go through and we find out if we were to sit down and do a word study. If you don't know how to do a word study, let's have that conversation and let's talk about it. With literal word on your phone, it becomes increasingly easy. Not only that, but we have an incredible library. 
We have an incredible library that has tons of tools at your disposal. We even have a table in there. You can come in one day, sit down, bring your yellow pad that's 600 pages long and fill it up with all kinds of wonderful things that you learn. We have obtained an inheritance. This is the verb. It is a verb, okay? We need to understand that because we're going to talk about the noun and the relation between these things. This is the verb, eklorathamen, okay, which is the whole idea here. The root word is kleruo. Pay attention to this. Which means appoint by a lot or cast lots or determine by lots, depending on whether it's in the active or it's in the passive here. Now, when we move forward, it's important to know this. Here's your $5 Jeopardy word for the day. This word is a hapax legomena. There are many of them in Ephesians. In other words, this is the only time in the New Testament that this word is ever recorded. It's not recorded anywhere else. And this creates a difficulty for us to say, well, Paul used it over here and in this book and in this way. And so I can begin to compare and contrast what I'm seeing and come to some sort of meaning. But here's one thing that's interesting. The idea of a point by lot, cast lots, or determined by lots, is not something you find in the designation of we have obtained an inheritance. Does everybody see how the definition of the word and what they've translated it as could actually create some problems? Yes? We good? Okay. I'm telling you what. Later on when you can't sleep, put this sermon on. It'll be awesome. Okay? <clears throat> now here's what I'm not saying. Take this up front. I'm not saying that anybody came to the table as a translator to translate the scriptures with the purpose of misleading people. I'm not at all. It is heavy, intense work. It's by people that are exceedingly, abundantly, much smarter than I am, okay? But I could not help within my very person to have an issue here of saying, well, if this is what the word means, how come it doesn't just outright say that? How, how come it's not just unfolded for us to understand? And so there's some issues surrounding it that we need to understand. Now, the top lexicon that people use, it even says appointed by lot and obtained by lot notice that one is active the other one is passive one is something that's done to you another one is something that gives to you that you come into okay notice but here's what's crazy about this when dealing with the only instance that it occurs in ephesians 1:11, they say in whom we have obtained an inheritance what in the world is this situation with a lot or lots and being either allotted or given such? And for some reason, we stretch it into this inheritance idea. Now, who has literal word out? Okay, great. So you put your finger on there. You will see the word karuo. And you'll notice up in the top, the little oval circle there. It will say, it only occurs in one verse, and you're in it. But what's interesting is, is if you go down to verse 14, the word inheritance comes up again guess what not the same word it also comes up again in verse 18 guess what not the same word in fact every time it's mentioned it's mentioned three other times inheritances in english in ephesians it's not the same word those other three instances are the same word but it's not the same word so why do they translate it as inheritance here it's curious now the interesting thing about this lexicon is is whenever they're dealing with the word, they will take and pull from a lot of secular sources in that time that they use common Greek. And they'll say, well, if you look at Homer's writings here, they would have described it this way. If you look at such and such's writings here, Plato's writings here, 
He used the word in this way, if it occurs, and they'll give you the documentation. But here's what's interesting. The secular citations within this heading for kleruo define the word as lot. In other words, every time it happened outside of the New Testament in documented writing, they always translated it as lot. For some reason in English, they brought it into the idea of inheritance. It is never understood in secular writings as inheritance. Can everybody see, number one, I have a problem, obviously, pursuing something like this. Number two, why it might be a little bit of a difficulty that I would like to come down on a solid answer with. Would you agree? Great, so you're all biting the hook. That's wonderful. Here we go. The Greek noun, so that's the verb we dealt with, kleruo, but the Greek noun is kleros, and it means inheritance and lot. Difference between a noun and a verb, but still, there's some connection and similarity there where we might see inheritance come in. How was this word used? Well, guess what? It was used all over the New Testament. Lots being cast for Jesus' garments. Every one of the Gospels contains an instance of that going on. That word is used. How about the choosing of Matthias? It's actually used twice in Acts chapter 1, verse 26, to talk about doing that. You ever, you ever thought that they would roll dice in order to choose you for ministry as an apostle? That's kind of strange for us. That's like the closest thing we can in our day and age liken that to. It's not the same thing, but it's the closest that we can get. It's the idea, we think of that normally as chance. God's saying, no, I control the dice. I'll tell you exactly what you want to know. Now that we have scripture, we don't need stuff like that. Notice this. It's translated as share in Acts one seventeen when they're speaking of Judas's part in the ministry of the apostles. In other words, he had a one-twelfth share in the totality of the ministry. Does that make sense? Keep that in your mind because that idea is going to help us understand what this verb is actually getting at. In Acts 17.4, there's a form of the word, proscalero, okay? And it actually is translated joined, but has been defined as, if you were to go to literal word and look at it, to allot to or to assign by lot. There it is. Everybody know we're not talking about Old Testament lot, right? Okay, made it out of Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay, good. Just making sure. You're like, man, that could be really confusing for people. Never mind. Moving on here. So here are some smart people comments on Kleruo. Because if you read the commentaries, and if this commentary is worth its weight in gold, it's come across this problem, and they've done a big hmm so that you can read what they're thinking. Honer, Harold Honer, he's probably written the greatest commentary on Ephesians. It's about this thick. It's huge, okay? He notes, the verb should retain, it should retain some idea of a lot or a portion because the point does not deal with the acquisition of the portion, but the portion itself. In other words, it's not about how we came across it as one of the every spiritual blessings that we got in Christ. It's what that actual kleruo is. What it is in its essence is what matters to us and so it has to retain some of this from the word in order to even make sense so that we would grasp it aren't you glad you came to church today because of such associations of the cognate noun now what is the cognate noun if you remember we looked at it it's kleros and it's used for casting lots for jesus's clothes that's the noun form of it it has been suggested that the verb here in ephesians 1:11 should be rendered we have been chosen as god's portion i.e. assigned by God himself as his own lot. Notice the idea of portion 
and Lot. Now, some translations have tried to reflect this. We're going to look at it in just a second. But we're getting a little bit more insight into what this may mean. If the noun is used this way, there should be some connection verb-wise, even though it only occurs one time, to this idea of a lot or a portion that is there. The question is, is, is it God's lot? Are we God's portion? I think we would agree that we are God's portion. It's very personal. He claims this as his own. But is this what Paul is talking about? That's what we want to get to. Here are the Bible translations for kleruo. Now, thank you, thank you. I did a lot of hard work for you on this one, okay? Here we go. The NASB, we've obtained an inheritance. ESV, we've obtained an inheritance. KJV, we've obtained an inheritance. New KJV, we've obtained an inheritance. NIV and NIV 84 and him, we were also chosen. What is wrong with y'all? Okay? If you came with an NIV today, just notice the difference. All right, I love you. So does Jesus. Here we go. The New Revised Standard Version. Also obtained an inheritance. Holman Christian Standard Version. We've received an inheritance in him. Everybody see what's different about that. Notice that obtain, any time that obtained is used, obtain is always in the active. What's interesting about this is this verb is passive. It should not be translated as an active verb. So the idea of receiving something is important. How do we know this? Because if you go through Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, you find active verb, active verb, active verb. All these things are yours because of what God has done for you in Christ. You're in Christ, active verb, active verb. And all of a sudden you come upon 111 and it's passive verb. The problem is, is that translators went about making it consistent with the rest of the text. And instead of recognizing the word as a passive verb, as it is in the manuscripts, they just made it active to say obtain an inheritance. No. Probably received would be a better way to look at it. How about the Net Bible? In Christ, we too have been claimed as God's own possession. That's a little bit different. Young's Literal Translation, in whom also we did obtain an inheritance. Notice the active is used again. Here we go. Continued. The Darby Version, obtain an inheritance. The Williams New Testament. I'm really stretching it out there looking for good stuff here. In union with whom we were made God's portion. Notice, we were made. It's something happening to us, so we're passive in the process. God's portion, his lot. That might be getting a little bit quicker. The 20th century New Testament. Now, truth be told, I just got that translation on Tuesday and was so impressed with it, I just wanted to stick it in here. For by our union with him, we became, passive, God's heritage. Now, that's interesting, but it's not unnormal for the word to be translated Heritage. Now, I also got this book, okay? Everybody hold on to your saddles. The Grammatical Analysis of the Greek New Testament, okay? You're going to walk out of here smarter, okay? (laughs) Don't say our church doesn't do miracles, okay? (laughs) Here we are. And here's what they list. This is just a commentary on it about what certain keywords could mean. Possible translation, they give you three, okay? In whom we were chosen, in whom we were allotted as an inheritance meaning, or in whom we have been made, notice the passive here, his heritage or claimed as God's own. Now that's a grammatical analysis of the Greek New Testament. But here's my question. Where's the idea of cast lots are determined by lots? The word must retain some form of what it means. Otherwise, anything's up in the air to be defined however you like. 
So here's the question. Is it active or is it passive? If it's translated in the active, we have what we have in most of the major translations. We have obtained an inheritance. If it's in the passive, it's actually we were made an inheritance. And again, I don't like the word inheritance. I don't think it represents it properly. But here's what's interesting. Our good friend Weist. Here we go. The best Greek texts. Now, is that a biased comment or what? The best Greek texts have not. We have obtained an inheritance because that would be the active. But we were made an inheritance or we were designated as his heritage. Thus, the saints are God's heritage, his possession through the work of Christ on the cross. Now, here's the problem I have with that. That is not a decision made from the book. Here's the reason why. The issue of heritage in every commentary I've seen who chooses to use that is always related to Israel in the Old Testament. Always. Now, call me a stickler for this. Thank you. The church is not Israel. And Israel is not the church. And God has a plan of things that he will accomplish for Israel and he will see them through exactly as it is. And they have been promised much in blessings as far as land, seed, and blessing are concerned. We, because we are part of the seed of Abraham, because it is through faith and many nations have come through him. He's a father of many nations. And so in doing so, we have the benefits of faith in that way. But Acts chapter 2 is something completely different and brand new. And if Acts chapter 2 did anything with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the cross of Christ, it absolutely demolished the middle wall that separated Jew and Gentile and made them one brand new person in Christ. Now that's what we get into in chapter 2. But the idea of knowing that Paul's going to go there and Paul knowing that Paul's going to go there in his own writing, I don't think he would have taken the time to just want to say, and I want to kind of connect this to Israel so we understand how in line we are with one another. Same God, yes. They don't believe in their Messiah, and we do. That's all the difference in the world. They were set up as a national entity in order to draw people in. We are a transnational people that are to go out and share the gospel with people. There are too many differences. There are too many differences on this situation. So I'm a little leery of taking this argument. Everybody with me so far? Okay, i got about eight minutes to wrap this up. So, what's the big deal? I know you've been thinking this since the beginning. A guy named Ed DeZago was a professor for years at Grace Theological in Winona Lakes, Indiana. He now pastors in Arizona. He writes this, literally, it means to choose or to assign a portion. The emphasis in the context is a portion given or inheritance. However, when the emphasis is apparent, there is a direct object. In this passage, there is no direct object. Thus, another possibility may be that the redeemed are the inheritance. So what am I saying here? Well, number one, if I'm looking at my literal word and I'm like, wait a second, I want to look up this word because I want to study a little deeper and the definition has nothing to do with how they've translated it. I'm a little freaked out by that. And then I find out, wait a second, they've taken the initiative to translate this active because of the other verbs that are listed in this big, long, stretchy sentence. And in doing so, it's actually supposed to be in the passive. And so I should be handling it that way. So now I've got to deal with that. But another thing is, is that anytime you have a verb like that in place, it's got to refer to something. What's the direct object in this situation? You're like, I don't know. My whole life is in the balance. Please tell me. Well, hold on. Dezago offers the citation of Ephesians 1.18. Everybody remember I said to look at that? Look down at that real quick. Let's read it together. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened 
so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. You know the problem with that? It's not the same word. It's a derivative long stretch from that word. You got to go through a couple of tunnels and over a river to get there, okay? But it's not the same word that's used as that word is used consistently throughout the rest of the book. We have a problem here. So, I can't use that to support this conclusion because of the differences in definition and wording. And also, as well as he cites numerous citations from the Old Testament, all of which speak of Israel. Now, what is the big deal continued? I'm glad you're sticking around. Linsky. Linsky is a nerdy Lutheran Greek scholar. Love him. Don't agree with him on everything, but man, he's got some interesting things to say. I love how plain he is. The translation of our versions are so attractive because they embody such rich biblical thoughts. For we certainly have obtained an inheritance, and like Israel of old, we are also made God's heritage, although we note that these two thoughts differ materially. Yet the word here used has reference to neither of them. See, here's the interesting thing about it. Is being an inheritance to God true of us? Yes. Are we his heritage? Do you realize? We're going to look at this in a while. God's actually excited about getting us. He already has us in Christ, but when we show up, he's going to be like, go, 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 go. He's going to love it. He's excited about being with us forever. So I'm excited about that, and that's equally a truth. But notice what he says here. Both of those concepts are true, and they got nothing to do with the word. Not a thing. Thank you, Linsky. Again, here we go. So, the verb means neither we have obtained an inheritance, nor we were made a heritage. Active, and at least this one's going passive, but notice, not that. While the Greek words for inheritance, heir, or to inherit, are derived from kleros, that's the noun, or lot, a lot or allotment assigned by a testament, the present verb does not stress the idea of inheritance so here's his translation of this verse in connection with him in connection with whom also we were given a lot not that we were given a lot yes we were given a lot in fact we were given every spiritual blessing but the idea of an allotment for us was put in place as having been predestined according to his purpose who works all things according to the counsel of his will so one more time. Paul shows what our place is in the administration of Christ, in which all things are summed up in connection with Him. In other words, the administration dispensation that we saw in verse 10, let's look at it real quick, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. Last week's message. The mystery revealed is that all things, whether on heaven or on earth, are going to be summed up in Christ as he reigns in his kingdom glory for a thousand years over the earth. Well, guess what this is saying? That dispensation of Christ is a future fullness of times, and that is the direct object which the verb refers back to. So many people say, well, it might be the believers who are receiving the lot. Well, no, that's not there. Well, it might be God. Well, wait a second. Verses 7 through 12 isn't really about God. It's about what happened in Christ. Christ is the central focus of Paul's message there. It's where the author's taking me, so that's where I got to go. I don't have a choice to go where I want to go in this situation. 
So what does all this mean? This means that the portion lot that we have been allotted or assigned, passively speaking, is a permanent place in the future administration of Christ Jesus. Here's what this is saying. This lot that we have received and been given by Him has a guaranteed reservation in that 1,000 year period for every single person who is a believer in Christ. Just as Judas, and that gets tricky when we think about his life, but just as Judas had a one-twelfth share in the pie of apostleship, you and I have a one-whatever-it-is, millionths, share in the kingdom of Christ. I think that's great. I think the idea that he's going to usher in and set up his rule and reign, and he says, you know what? Because you believed in me, I'm going to reserve you a spot. In fact, if you look at Ephesians 2, 6, it tells us that he has seated us in the heavenlies alongside Christ. Already, it's a done deal. It's not even really a reserved for Jeremy, soon to come, or be here after a while, or reservation at 10. It's not one of those things. Spiritually speaking, I'm already there because of what has happened to me in Christ. Now, I don't deserve that, man. But that's everything that we're looking at is the unfolding of grace. This is what Jesus does. And do you see that it's amazing that he's going, here, saint, here, 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 here. You're like, I can't handle all this. You ever gotten so many cards in a card game you just gave up and just, that's usually where I'm at, right? Playing rummy with somebody, I'm like, forget it. That's what Jesus has done spiritually speaking. He's given us so many cards that they're impossible to hold, and he says they're all yours in me. So I have given you a portion. You have received a portion of my future kingdom, you're guaranteed to be in there. Now that's a sweet eternal security verse. How come we haven't come to that in some of our translations? Well, some people have. Beal and Rodmacher explain it this way. God is going to unify everything in the universe under one head. This will be for himself, and this will be done in intimate connection with the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything will have a purpose and meaning, even the necessity of eternal judgment itself, when all of God's purposes are seen in Christ. Now pause. All of his purposes are going to be seen in Christ. Who's in Christ? We are. So even the things that we don't understand, God, what are you doing here? How come this doesn't make sense? Where were you at when I needed you here and all this stuff? That's all going to be unveiled and realized to us as we're sitting in a previously reserved position in the kingdom. Christ has done it for you. Christ has done it for me. I have a portion. You have a portion. No one can take that away from you because it's already been done in Christ. It's already yours. You don't have to wait to die to receive that. You have it now. You say, I don't feel like it. Man, start thinking about your heavenly position and your heavenly practice will start to fall in line with that stuff. Do you ever just get weirded out about how special God thinks you are? I do all the time. I know Jay does. <laughs> we sing about the love of Christ. We sing about how amazing it is and how merciful and gracious. And we start to get very commonplace with our words. We start to use them kind of flippantly. When we come into Christianity, we got this new vocabulary, and we've kind of worn those out. It can sling them with the best of everybody. But good grief, there's weight in every one of those things, and to think that they have some sort of direct relationship 
to who I am now. You know what that tells me? It tells me that dying ain't so bad. It tells me that this life being over, okay, cool, man. Graduation time. It tells me that when I see everything going down the pipes around us, there's a hope that lifts me up above that. Why? Because Christ has already taken this portion and said, Jeremy, it's yours. Zach, it's yours. Timmy, it's yours. Elijah, it's yours. Guess what? Elijah, it's yours. Rhonda, it's yours. You have it. Now, you don't have to wait for it. You don't have to wait to appreciate it. It's a reality. Well, we've got to start thinking this way. Listen to me. As Christians, we will not make it to the rapture faithfully if we're not thinking heavenward. And if Christ has said it, Christ has done it for us, it is the only thing that is true regardless of what anyone else tells you. It is the only thing that is true. Now, in Him we've obtained an inheritance. Being predestined, He decided this before Him according to His purpose, forgive me, what He wants to do. And He works all things after the counsel of His will. Uh, I don't have time to get on this, but you can read the notes. Let me get through this because I actually summed it up for you in a better slide. Here it is. So, here we are. Here it is. God's desire, which is His will. His will is what He wants. You know, doing God's will. That's what God wants. And His opinion is the greatest. It's the only one that matters. So God's desire, His will, leads to God's decision or his counsel, which leads to God's plan. Whenever it says he has this purpose for us, to his purpose who works all things after the counsel of his will, it means, in fact, if you have a New King James Study Bible, he's laid out a blueprint of how he will effectually see this through. He's going to start the game of mousetrap, and he's going to make it to the end, and he's not going to get caught in the net. He's going to make sure it happens. So God pre-appointed these things to happen, which leads to God giving us a lot or a portion in the future of the culminative dispensation of Christ's reign. God's got it all planned out. His will, His purpose, His desires for us is for us to have a portion in the kingdom. And why that's been covered up, I don't know. All of this is to the praise of His glory. In other words, we as Christians aren't just to praise Him, but we are to be to the praise of His glory. Well, I tell you this, it is hard to not be to the praise of His glory when you recognize that the lot He's already reserved for you is yours in His eternal coming kingdom. It is really hard not to be on fire for Jesus when you're thinking along those lines. Everybody with me? Okay. I beg of your mercy and forgiveness for having to sit through that. But I wanted to show you the work. Because even if the odd answers were in the back, we're still required to do digging and study to come to a conclusion of what it means. And I hope that it's encouraging and edifying to you. I seriously doubt I will ever attempt anything like that again, but I felt it was important. Okay? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you've given us your word, and thank you, God, that you've spoken such amazing and gracious things towards us. The Lord Jesus has accomplished much and your desire is to have him be the channel of which you send blessing after blessing after blessing. And it's not where we have to wait till our birthday in order to open the present. They're already ours. They're already open. They're already in our possession. You have given them freely. You've given them by your grace. And you've given them because of his blood. Lord, if that doesn't cultivate 
humility and happiness and thankfulness in us, Lord. I don't know what will. So, Father, if we're here today and we have a hardened heart, if we're here today and we're having difficulty bringing praises to your name, Lord, bring to our minds, please, resurface in our hearts the goodness of your grace in constantly speaking these things to us. You have given to us, we have received from you a lot, a portion in the coming reign of Jesus. It can never be taken away. It can never be vanquished. It can never be stolen. It can never be forfeited. Regardless of whatever sin comes about in our life, you will never remove it from our possession. It is ours because we are permanently in Christ. And so we praise you for that. And we pray that you would be glorified in that. And we pray that we, because of that truth, would be to the glory of your name. We ask it all in Jesus' awesome, awesome, superior name. Amen.